If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 20. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 20 right into chapter 21. Um, <clears throat> if, I, um, if I say to you, gotcha, what comes to your mind? Um, pr probably a variety of things. For me, I don't know what it is with our house, but in the wintertime, we always seem to collect mice in our garage. And um, they're pretty smart, actually, um, <laughs> at least compared to me or whatever. But, but, um, and so often they'll steal the food, and I won't quite get them. So I, I've come up with all kinds of elaborate ways, and I think I've got it down now. And I will set up multiple traps at the same time that they got to go through and sometimes catch two or three at a time, which is really quite marvelous. But what I normally say when I walk into the garage and I see that, is I'll say, gotcha. And it's only a mouse. But we use that expression sometimes jokingly with people. We get them on a joke and we say, gotcha. You see, politicians will do that too to one another, won't you? Media, gotcha. So it's, it's not something that's totally unusual to us. We do it all the time. Kind of part of our vocabulary. That is exactly what the religious leaders are trying to do with Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 20. Remember, triumphal entry, he's coming to Jerusalem. He's cleaned the temple and they're so mad at him. And so they figure out, okay, we got to do something. We, we want to trap him. We want to be able to say, gotcha. So they use a frontal approach. And they actually go up and they try to ask him some tough questions. It doesn't go so well. We looked at that last week. They kind of back away. So they figure they'll try like a side approach this time. So they convince some people who will go up and just ask him some general questions. And they're thinking, try to be deceptive. Try to appear innocent. And let's see if we can catch them. A gotcha moment. And what you're going to find when we come out of this passage and we get to the end, we're going to say, Jesus is so wise. Not only does he put them in their place, he tells us how to live life in the process. Isn't that an amazing thing? So watch what happens here. Look at uh, chapter 20 and verse 20. <clears throat> Again, the Bible says, and they watched him. And sent spies who pretended to be righteous. I mean, these, you know, these are seekers, you know. In order that they might catch him in some statement. So as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. Now, they're not just trying. To, this group is not just trying to um, hurt him in the presence of the people. This group wants to nail him with the government itself. So they got to come up with a question that if he doesn't answer it right, they can go to the Roman governor and they can say, look at what he's done. I mean, it's insidious, but it is what they do. And they think they've got the perfect question. Look what they say. And they question him saying, teacher, listen to the butter up here. This is, this is so pathetic. Ugh. I mean, they're actually correct. But not that they believe it. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. And you are not partial to any. But teach the way of God in truth. 
you know what? You better not try to wiggle out of this one. Isn't that what they're saying? And so here's our question. It's a question we really struggled with. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That was loaded. Especially in their day. We, we don't always understand it, but, you know, in, in their day, there, there's, there's all kinds of um, potential rebellions that the Roman government has to put down. And you're Jewish and you're saying, you know, you really could sing the song, this land is our land, this land. You know, I mean, you could sing that, but that would be your song because it's their land. And they're thinking we have Roman overlords right now on us and we don't like it at all. And, and so they're saying, should we pay any tribute to him? And they figure they've got him. Because if Jesus says, yeah, just go ahead and pay him. Then they're going to say, the people will say, what are you doing that for? You're supposed to be Messiah trying to get us out from underneath the Romans. What's going on? That's what they're thinking. And if he says, don't pay, then we're going to go right to the governor and say, here's another rebel trying to destroy things. There was a fellow whose name is Judas, not related to the Judas we know. Lived in the first century. He's supposed to be a really significant rebel. One of the ancient historians even tells us that he kind of became the, the, the leader of this rebel movement. And he stood in front of the people. And when a Roman governor came he said, do not pay tribute to him because if you pay tribute to him, you are denying the authority of God. And that rallying call just kind of went out and it was an either or. If you do this, it's either this or this. If you go with him, you're going against God. It was an either or. That's how he set it up. And so they come to Jesus and they're saying, which side are you going to go on? And they've got him either way. He either loses it with the people or else he loses it with the Roman governor and they can have him killed. It really is a brilliant question. So what does Jesus do? Could you flip the slide here? I don't know if you can see that back there. This, uh, this is a denarius. Look at what Jesus does. He, he's so good. Verse 23. But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? You know who that is up there? It's Tiberius. You know what it says? It says he is Augustus. He is the son of the divine Augustus, the previous one. And on the flip side, you've got his mother, probably. And it says there that he is the chief priest. Um, the guys asking the question have coins in their pocket. He said, will you pull it out and tell me what you got on there? Because you're asking this question, what should we do about Caesar? What are you carrying around in your pocket? Now, I know they didn't have pockets. Exactly. What are you carrying around? You already are saying, 
by the very coins that you carry around that you're submitting to that government at some level. And you know what? You're violating some things about images and all kinds of stuff in the process. Do you think that kind of put them in their place a little bit? Should we give tribute to Caesar? What's in your pocket? Oh, it's a... It's an image of, of, of Caesar that says he's even divine on it, too, come to think of it. See what he's doing? And Jesus gives this interesting response. He said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then he adds something that wasn't part of their question. And to God, the things that are God's. Jesus says, you think it's an either or. You're either for the Roman government or for God. And I want you to know it's not an either or. It's a both and. But it's a both and like this. You've already said by your very coins that you have that you're under the government. And you are. So render to him the things that are, that, that, that are due him. You should do that. But never at the loss of the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. Nuts! They weren't ready for that answer. Man! Somehow he... Nuts! And Tony messed him up. Didn't he? And in that whole process, he teaches us, doesn't he? Do you like everything your government does? None of us do. And if we were in power, they wouldn't like us either. You know, it's kind of the way it works. But is that ever an excuse? They had all kinds of excuses in their day to say, no, no. God has ordained that according to Romans 13, hasn't he? And he calls us to submit to that as much as obedience to God will allow. So render to them. But remember who the ultimate authority is in the entire process. Look at how they respond. They were unable, verse 26, to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And marveling at his answer, they became quiet. So somebody said, hey, I got another one. Forget it. Just forget it. It won't work. All right. Do you remember when I was in high school? I, I, don't, I don't endorse this at all. I'm just telling you what I did in high school sometimes. I used to sometimes watch the uh, fighting, the wrestling on, on TV, you know, where they would do all these tag team things, you know, and well, it was so fake. I don't even know why I watched it, but I did. I, 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 and I, I gave it up. I just want you to know, but, but I, I did watch it. And, and you know, I often, I often kind of picture this, like some guy who's just been totally beat up, crawling back, tagging team for the next guy to hop in, thinking, okay, I'll, I'll take care of this fellow now. But Jesus stands there, and, and whoever comes after him, Every time they crawl back to their side and tag team the next guy. And you know who they tag team this time? Sadducees. Now they're wealthy, smart people. They'll be able to come up with something here. And the Sadducees, you know, in the ancient world, there was different views on, on the afterlife. The Sadducees felt like when you died, that was it. There was no resurrected body. There was no post-mortem existence at all. Nothing. And so they're going to ask a question not to get him in trouble with the Roman governor. They just want to shame him and 
in front of all the people. And they've got the perfect question. They don't believe in the resurrection, and, but they know he does. So they're going to they're gonna nail him. Gonna, so they, they, they tag team it. Let, let us handle this one. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there's no resurrection. And they questioned him saying, uh, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should take the wife and raise up offspring to his brother. You know, in the ancient world, they call it the leveret marriage. So it, it would be, I have, I have four brothers. Uh, if, so if it was happening when, when I was young, okay, before I was married, and my brother Scott got married and he died, but they had no offspring, then Ted would give it a shot, and if it didn't work, then, I, then he would, you know, then I'd give it a shot. You know, you just, you just kind of, and, and in this story, he's saying, look, what happens is there's this woman, and she's married to this guy, and they don't have any kids, and the guy dies. So the brother of the guy has to raise up offspring, so, so he's, he's, he's got to marry her. So now there were seven brothers. The first one took a wife and died childless. And the second and third took her, and in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. I don't know about you, but by about the sixth one, I'm thinking, like, I don't know if I want to marry that woman. But, but anyway, I mean, none of that's the purpose of it. I just, I've often thought that when I've read the passage. Whatever. Okay. Finally, the woman died also. So she was married to seven brothers. They all died. She died. No kids. And now they're going to nail him. They are going to mock him in the presence of everybody. They got it. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. Can you see that? They're in the corner like. <laughs> so who's she going to hang out with in heaven? Right? I mean, that's what they're thinking. And they're in trouble. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. That's true. In this world, we marry and are given in marriage and people get pregnant and have kids and they do kids and offspring and back and forth and, you know, how it works. That's how it works. Okay, fair enough. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the only ones that are considered worthy to attain to that age are the ones who know the worthy one which is Jesus Christ, of course, right, at the end of the day. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die anymore, for they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, you are viewing eternity, eternity, the resurrection, the afterlife, as if it's, the, it's just nothing but a continuation of the exact way things are right now. So you're seeing all of that through this. And so you think you've got this really nifty question that nobody can possibly answer. On like, and Jesus says, it's totally different. People marry, they're given in marriage, and they're going to have offspring. But you know what? Because people die. But in eternity, there's no death. There's no marriage. Now, now I, look, I, I know this gets a little bit tricky sometimes. I, we were talking about this in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. But um, I don't know about you, but like when I go to heaven, I, I would like to sit beside Sherry. 
for eternity myself. I mean, you know, I don't know about you. I, and, 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 and like, all I can tell you folks is we will be so lost in the glory and the wonder of Jesus Christ that all those relationships will just pale in comparison. And, and what happens is he says, you are trying to mock me by thinking that now is just going to continue right into then. And this is different from then because we live forever. We don't die. You don't need to marry and find somebody to marry because you have offspring because people die. No, no, no. There's no death here. We're like angels. We're, we're children of the resurrection. It's totally different. You know, my problem is I too easily read then through this. When Jesus wants us to read this, I mean that through this. Does that make any sense? I just said it. I don't know if I was clear. So, so in other words, should I be thinking about eternity in light of now? Or should I be thinking about now in light of eternity? Do you see the difference? And when you think about the, the closest and sweetest of all potential relationships is the husband-wife relationship. And yet, even that pales in comparison to what is to come. So, so that changes even how I see this now. So they thought they got Jesus on a really good question. Like, hey, what do you think about it? And Jesus is saying, you guys think you know something? He doesn't say this. He doesn't say this. I probably would have. I would have said, you guys are dummies. But Jesus is much better than that, right? But, but he totally puts him in his place because he says, you don't even understand the nature of the resurrection. It changes everything. Now, Sadducees, they were really committed to the first five books, the Old Testament, strongly. So you know what Jesus does in this passage? He goes on to show them from the very text that they believe in that it teaches the resurrection. I mean, he so snows these guys, it's not even funny. Look at what he says. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush from Exodus, where he calls the Lord God of, where he calls the Lord the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. He says, guys, the burning bush with Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're dead. But he looks at Moses and says, I am the God of them. Which means they're still alive. So the Sadducees, who were committed to the first five books because it didn't teach anything about the resurrection, all of a sudden are thinking like, uh-oh. He just proved his case from what we accept and totally snowed us on the question we had asked. Look at the response. Verse 39. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything we're done and we're not done i'm just saying they're done relax we got a couple more but we're wrapping it up do you see how wise he is 
And in the midst of people trying to destroy him, God in his incredible grace opens up to us and says, you know what, they may, may be trying to get me, but I am going to actually teach my people about life even as they're trying to attack me to show just how wise I am. You want to talk about civic responsibilities? Jesus is willing to talk about that. You want to talk about how we should then live now based on the resurrection? Jesus wants to talk about that too. And he turns back at them and asks them this question. Look what he says. I have a question for you, verse 41. He said to them, and that's not a good thing. Because every time he asks them a question, it really is a good question. But he says, there's this kind of this quandary. I don't know if you've thought about it. He says, he said to them, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? Now, Jesus isn't denying that. Is the Messiah going to be the son of David? Yes, 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 yes. So how is that? Because I got, I got this question. Like, do you guys know Psalm 110? Because I'm struggling with this, Jesus says. Well, not really, but I, I'm adding it a little bit, I guess. But for, for David himself says in the book of Psalms, and this comes from Psalm 110, what we call Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. David therefore calls him Lord, and how is he his son? So, they're coming thinking they're nailing him on this first thing about, about Caesar and Jesus like, and then they try the resurrection thing and, and Jesus says, could I ask you a question now? Messiah is the descendant of David, right? Yeah. But in Psalm 110, David addresses Yahweh and he talks about his Lord. So Yahweh is going to say to David's Lord. So how can Messiah be both his Lord and his descendant at the same time? Now this text doesn't tell us, but if you're reading Matthew, you know what the answer is from the, from the religious leaders? They come back and they say, we don't know. They realize that the best answer when, when, when Jesus is answering your question is probably to say, we don't know. Because we're going to get caught. And Jesus, in the midst of these people attacking, 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 he takes the whole idea of Messiahship and he kind of pushes it up a notch. He says, you should be spending your time and energy thinking about who the Messiah is. He is both the descendant of David. He's also the preexistent Lord of David. All at the same time. Chew on that one. Verse 45, while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love respectful greetings in the marketplace, chief seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at the banquets, who devour widows' houses, and for appearance sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Isn't that amazing how sobering it is? This group has been coming after him. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And every time he nails them, every time. And then he poses a question. He says, you guys have got to come to terms with Messiah. Who is who? It's Jesus. 
And you guys who are trying to attack me right now are in a really bad way. Because your religion is all about using people and abusing people. You use them so that you get all the attention and all the glory when people come in. Let them sit here. Oh, there's Dr. So-and-so, whatever. It ought to make us throw up. It's disgusting. I hate to see celebrity Christians who are eating that whole thing up. You know, I, I just, that whole thing drives me crazy. Anyway, Jesus says, you're using religion for your own personal gain, and it's terrible. And in the process, you are taking advantage of widows. We don't know exactly how they're doing that. You know, perhaps they're advising them to, to, to be giving stuff directly to them or, or, or charging them money. We don't know. All I know is that they're using religion for two reasons. For self-benefit, for self-glory, and to hurt people in the process. They don't care who they step on, even if it's a widow. Isn't that awful? And he ends by saying this. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He saw a certain poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Pennies. Pennies. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them for they all out of their sur surplus put in the offering. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Does Jesus find any example in the midst of all this attack and, and hypocrisy? Yes, but he doesn't find it with the religious. He doesn't find it with the rich. He watches people dropping in money. And he watches a widow who has almost nothing, who gives very little. And he says, that's what it's all about right there. What a turnaround. They're all about pomp and circumstance and attention and nailing Jesus. And Jesus has his eye on a poor widow. Doesn't that give you great hope? thinking about all that maybe we'll just pop to the last and I'll hit this fast and we'll be done wisdom living under the lordship of Jesus Christ in this passage then includes at least four things the all-wise Messiah King and putting them in their place and noticing a poor widow and noticing how the religious people live tells us four things first wisdom living means fulfilling our God-given given civic responsibilities. You're responsible to pay taxes. April's coming, folks. I don't like it as much as anybody. But God is ultimately over that system. Living in light of eternity. I was saying this in the marriage class. You know the best thing I can do for Sherry, my wife? best thing I can do for Sherry is to love God 
much more than I love Sherry. But that doesn't that sound almost counterproductive? Like, well, well, what do you mean by, no, 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 no. The best thing I can do for my marriage is see, my marriage is a temporary gift that God has given me for this entire lifetime while we're both living. Don't hear me saying temporary any other way. I don't mean it that way. But, but it's an institution that's been given for now. And I should, in light of eternity, I should look at that gift and I say, how can I use that gift of marriage for God? It actually is an object lesson of Christ in the church. And I just want to show off God through this because it's not the end all. I love my wife. I love marriage. I love my kids. But it's not the end all. This is the end all. And everything now needs to be seen through the then. Folks, that changes everything, doesn't it? All of his gifts, all of his opportunities, all of his blessings, all that stuff gets reconfigured in light of the then. It means avoiding hypocritical religiosity. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Finkbeiner, you want people to applaud you, pat you on the back, say, soak it in, pal, because that's all you get. That's it. And that's not true religion. That's hypocrisy. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. I mean, it matters what people, this is always a tricky one to talk about, but you, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, I shouldn't be doing it for you. I should be loving you in the name of Christ. I shouldn't be doing it so that you will give me something back and reciprocity, all that stuff. Throw it out. Doesn't that free us up just to be real people? We can move into all of our relationships and responsibilities with the freedom and grace of saying, I'm accepted in Christ. I can just go love. I don't have anything to prove and leave it with him. It, it, it's freeing, isn't it? Hypocrisy is a great burden. Sincerity is freedom. And lastly, giving sacrificially. I knew there was a trick here, Think Finder. <laughs> Knew you were going to get to that. And all I can tell you, folks, giving is a wonderful gift that God has given each one of us. And true giving should always hurt. It should hurt good, though, because you know why you're ultimately doing it. And so I, I would challenge you afresh, be giving to the glory of God. Doesn't mean you have to give it all here to the church. But if you're part of this church, you should be given some here. Should you not? But be, be generous and sacrificial in giving to God's work and to giving to the needs around you. So in the midst of all this, this the, the, something that could have been an absolute catastrophe as they're trying to ridicule and mock Jesus in the midst of everybody else. Jesus pulls back and says, I'm going to use that as a platform to teach my people about how to live life with my government in light of eternity in the realm of the religion, religious and just being a person that gives. I can't imagine that one of those points don't, doesn't hit you. Would you do me a favor? I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to wait just about 30 seconds. And I want you 
Whatever the Spirit of God has touched in your own heart, would you pray about that for about 30 seconds? Maybe even come up with a, something you'd like to do this week to hold yourself accountable to actually live it out. And then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray.